Well, we finally come to the end of our study in the book of Romans, and we'll be looking this morning at Romans chapter 16, looking at the very end of Romans chapter 16, verses 19 through 27. Romans chapter 16 is the least preached chapter in the most preached book in all of Scripture. Romans chapter 16 is the least preached chapter in the most preached book in all of Scripture. If you're familiar with Romans chapter 16, there contains about 37 or 38, I think, greetings and names that seem rather obscure, that seem rather insignificant. 37 names and greetings in a chapter that only has 27 verses. So understandable that it is often neglected from being shared about. But here in Romans chapter 16, in the passage that we're about to read, Paul ends in what is known as doxology. The word doxology, which we just sang, is simply a word of praise. When we sing doxology, we sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. When Paul writes about doxology and he speaks in this doxological phrase, he says in verse 25, Now to him who is able, and he ends the passage by saying, To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul ends this epic book, this epic letter to the church in Rome with a word of praise, with a word of doxology. And we could easily, if we don't know much about the Apostle Paul, or maybe about the history of the early church, that Paul writes in such doxological terminology because his life was one of ease, right? Hardly. Here's a man who was arrested, a man who was beaten, a man who struggled with what he calls a thorn of the flesh. A man that history tells us was almost blind and ultimately executed. Hardly a life of ease, but able to end this letter with a word of praise. And so the question I want to answer this morning is how does a man who goes through what Paul went through live a life full of doxology? Romans chapter 16, verses 19 through 27. This is the very word of God. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise, as it is good, and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to, to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and brother Cordus greet you. Not a him who's able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to the nations. 
according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And on this Lord's day, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. A life full of doxology, regardless of what happens. A life full of doxology on the highest mountain, but a life full of doxology in the lowest of valleys. A life full of doxology when everything is going so well, but a life full of doxology when nothing seems to be going as planned. You see, we have the Apostle Paul here able to end the most tremendous of all letters to the church of Rome with a word of praise, regardless of what he was going through, regardless of his circumstance, regardless of his situation, a life full of doxology. How can you have this life of doxology as well? That regardless of the season, regardless of the circumstances, I'm able to announce and declare, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. There's three truths that Paul reveals to us by way of ending the letter to the Romans. Three truths about God that gripped him and transformed him that allowed a man like Paul, in light of everything he was facing, to live a life full of doxology. And three truths that I pray will grip your heart and mind this morning that will allow you to live a life of doxology as well. The first truth that Paul reveals that has gripped his life is found in verses 25 and 26. It is the truth that God establishes. God is the one who establishes. And what does he say? Paul uses the word strengthen. That now to him who is able to strengthen. He's able to strengthen you. You see, what Paul is saying here is that as much as I want to establish my own life, as much as I want to build my own foundation, that it is God who establishes. It is God who gives us strength. It is God who props us up. The word strength there in Romans chapter 16 verse 25 is the word used that likens propping up a house that is ready to be demolished or a house that can barely withstand the winds of the storm. What Paul is saying is I cannot prop up my own life anymore, but I know the one who can. I don't have the strength but I know the one who gives me strength. I am not able, but I know the one who is able. Paul likens his life to a house that is able to fall over. And I'm sure there are some here this morning that can resonate. I can't take one more news. I cannot take one more bad word. I cannot take one more bad diagnosis from the doctor. I cannot take one more message from my kids. I can't take one more thing. You might have even come in this morning and you go, if somebody looks at me the wrong way, I might fall over. And that's the way that you live your life. 
Some of you couldn't sleep last night, so overwhelmed and burdened by the chaos and the problems of your life. And Paul gives us good news. There is a way that even in the midst of the storm, we can break out in doxology. It is the great truth that I am not able, but we know the one who is able. We are not able to establish our lives, but we know the one who is able to establish. But how does God establish our life? How does God give us strength? He gives us the answer further in verses 25 and 26. How does he establish us? How does he strengthen us? This is what he says, verse 25. According to what? The gospel. According to the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation. Verse 26. And according to the prophetic writings. Paul is saying it is the word of God and the word of God alone found in the gospel, found in the preaching of Jesus, found in the prophetic writings, found in the revelation of God. And this is why you hear me say so often in the trials of life, when you are tempted to run away from God and run away from his word, the encouragement for you is to dive more deeply into it. Paul says there is one thing that will anchor you in the midst of the storm. It is the word of truth living in a culture that seems like it is utterly crashing and burning, in the midst of brokenness and despair, in the midst of a life that offers no hope, there is something that anchors you and me in the midst of the storm. There is something that will anchor you and me in the midst of chaos and brokenness. And it is God through his word that is delivered unto you. Run to it, cherish it, treasure it. God establishes you and your home and your life and props you up in the midst of the storm by his word and by his truth. Causes him to cry out in doxology, even in the midst of brokenness. But the second thing that, the second thing, the second truth that grips the life of Paul is not only the truth that God establishes us, it is the truth that God includes. God is the one who includes. In verses 22, 21, 22, and 23, Paul includes all of these greetings. Now, if you read the entire chapter, chapter 16, he includes all of these people to greet in the church of Rome. But in verses 21 and 22 and 23, he, writing from Corinth, Paul is writing from Corinth, he's writing this letter to the Roman Christians, and he wants to send all of these greetings and he includes all of these names. Verse 21, he includes the name Timothy. We know Timothy, Paul's fellow worker. It's the one he would write eventually two letters to, first and second Timothy. He includes uh, the, the names of friends of his, kinsmen, Lucius and Jason and Sosipater. He also includes in verse 23, a name, a man by the name of Gaius, who was a host. More than likely, he had, it was a man of great wealth that was able to host people in his home in Corinth. He includes the name Erastus, who was the city treasurer in Corinth. 
The first example of Christians serving in politics and serving in government. If you were to go to Corinth today, marked in the pavement in Corinth, you'll see the name Erastus, the first Christian that we see recorded that was engaged in the public square, that was engaged in government. And so Paul mentions all of these people, wealthy, nobility, noble people of Corinth, But there's two other people that Paul mentions and includes as well. Verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter. Pastor Rob, I thought you've been telling us for nine months that Paul wrote this letter. Tertius, it says, wrote this letter. Well, Paul did write the letter. Paul, through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, delivered this message, but it was commonplace to employ a scribe to record the words that were being inspired by God. And so what we have here in verse 22 is Tertius is the scribe that has been sitting more than likely by Paul's side recording the inspired word of God. But what's significant about including Tertius? The word Tertius means what? Third, Tertius was a slave. You see, slaves in the Roman Empire were not given names. They were simply referred to by their birth order. He was the third born. Quartus, as we read in verse 23, was more than likely his brother. Quartus is the fourth. And what is so phenomenal that Paul would include people like Tertius and Quartus announces that the economy of God under Jesus Christ is now different. That not only are noblemen like Gaius and Erastus included in the kingdom of God, but even slaves like Tertius and Quartus are now included. You see, what is amazing about the message of Christianity is this, that nobody's become somebody's. That Christianity announces a movement that you are not included because of what you've done or your birth order or who you've even been born to, but quite the contrary. The message of the kingdom of God announces through Jesus Christ that you are included in the family of God on the basis of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. And can you imagine the reaction of Tertius? It probably went something like this. Paul turning to Tertius and saying, you've written beautifully all of these words. Now I want you to write something personal. I want you to write your greeting. Imagine the dignity given to Tertius, a slave, one who wasn't even given a name at birth, was always referred to in life as just the third born child. And here's the Apostle Paul saying, you write something as well. Include your personal greeting. In the midst of all of the greetings of nobility and kings and the city treasurer, you can be included in the family of God as well. Makes you want to cry out and sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. Our God is a God that establishes. Our God is a God that includes. But then lastly, it is the truth that God triumphs over all that gripped the mind and the heart of Paul. In verse 20, we see this triumph. In verse 20, we read, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
You see, it's in verse 20 that Paul declares the truth that God wins in the end. And it was Paul who was able to live in light of this truth that God triumphs over all, that God wins in the end, regardless of what will happen, regardless of how I'll be attacked, regardless of what happens in this life, I live by this truth that God will win. God will crush Satan. God will win in the end. You know, there's only one mention of Satan in this entire book, and it's right here. And it is a message that God will win and Satan will be defeated. But I think it's very interesting. Don't miss it. In verse 20, look there with me right now. God will crush Satan by how? By what means? Under your feet. Isn't that peculiar? It does not say God will crush Satan under his feet. God says, I will crush Satan under your feet. You see, what Paul wants us to understand is that God, by saving a people, by God redeeming the people of God, which is you and me, the church of Jesus Christ, Paul is making this amazing declaration that God will use you as agents of the kingdom of God to go out to defeat Satan once and for all. That God will use you, the church, to be ambassadors and agents of the kingdom of God, bringing light into the darkness, bringing hope into those broken places. That you are to be sent out as ambassadors and agents of God, declaring this, that the Lord Jesus Christ reigns and he will win and that there is not one area of brokenness in our world that will not one day be reclaimed by the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, that is the end. That is the mission. That is the final victory. Go live like it. Go live like it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when a child is brought forward for baptism, we are declaring war. That this child does not belong to this world but that this child belongs to God. When you come to church on Sunday morning, you are declaring war that my time is not my own and my life is not my own, but I get my marching orders from the Lord Jesus Christ and he leads me forward. When we send our children to a school like Westminster Academy, we are declaring war and saying, no, my child's mind and heart will not be shaped by this culture and by this world, but my child's mind and heart will be shaped by an institution that is dedicated to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, every day you wake up, if you are connected to Jesus Christ, you are declaring war and saying, this is my father's world and Satan will be crushed. And Jesus will have the final victory under your feet to live with confidence and not with despair and cynicism that Satan will be crushed and God wins. And for who all are connected to God through Jesus Christ, you share in that victory. You share in that good news. In 1841, there was a newspaper article in a New York newspaper, and this is what the article said, very simply, just was a few lines, and I think we have it for you this morning. It says, ran away, 
A Negro named Arthur has a considerable scar on his breast and each arm made by a knife. Loves to talk much of the goodness of God. Here is a man cut by a knife, running for his life, has experienced atrocities and unthinkable tragedy and evil in this world. But his testimony is this. He can't stop talking about the goodness of God. That is how you'll know it's Arthur. He can't stop speaking about God. I can't wait to meet Arthur one day. Maybe he'll show us his scars. But I can't wait to marvel at a man that experienced the world's greatest tragedies but couldn't stop talking about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that doesn't have to be just a story we read about. That can be your story this morning. To go through this life, to go through this world, experiencing tragedy, experiencing evil and brokenness, does not have to be something we just read about. This can be your story as well. The one thing you and I long for is to have joy like Arthur, to have unspeakable joy in the midst of a life full of unthinkable tragedy. I stand before you this morning as not only your pastor, but I stand before you as a man who has experienced unthinkable tragedy in this world. And I am here to tell you this morning that to find unspeakable joy is not found in a career move. It's not found in a good night's rest. It is not found in a summer vacation or a new home. Unspeakable joy is not found in a tweak to your marriage. It is not found in your children. Unspeakable joy is not found in getting the accolades and affirmation in the workplace that you desire. It's not even found at another church. I'm here to tell you that unspeakable joy that you long for is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. The one who lost all of his joy so that the joy of the Lord could be yours forever. Look no further than Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to look to that Jesus. Maybe for the very first time, we've printed a simple prayer in your bulletin that can allow you to talk to God for the first time to find this unspeakable joy in the midst of a life full of unthinkable tragedy. Would you run to Jesus this morning? There is a place of joy that is found in no place else than the cross of Jesus Christ, a place that will allow your heart to sing regardless of what you face, that I have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow.